It is, uh, boy, it's great to see you. As I was getting up here, Emma goes, you got your soapbox back, Dad. Um, it's not a soapbox. Got to remember, there's not like two steps, so I don't tear my knee getting off. Um, it was interesting over the last year and a half. This is, I think, the sixth space that we've been in as a church since we planted. And so you got to get used to, to moving around to different spots. And so when we couldn't be here, I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It's still the same people, and we'll just meet in a different spot. But uh, came in this last Wednesday, and lights were off, and no one was here. And I just kind of stood here, and I got a little teary-eyed. And I think many of you probably have that same feeling of just some of the things that God has done in this room. He can do it anywhere. These, these bricks and this wood and these lights don't contain what God does in the midst of our church, but we have a lot of really cool shared memories from baptisms and commissionings, and some of you have met Christ in this room. Um, you've met friends. You've met spouses in this room, and so I just want to recognize God's grace to us in keeping us going through this, and so um, I just want to we dive into First John, I just want to pray and thank him that he has held us together. I mean, just to see faces, to be back together um, in this place really is, it's a stunning thing. Let's pray. Father God, we, we want to recognize, so help us to pause in our lives and, and to see the many ways in which you prove yourself faithful to us. God, in, the, in confusion and questions and, and when we had our last Sunday here before all this, we figured we'd be back within two or three weeks, and then things happened, and then we had crazy flooding, and we, we've just experienced so many things here that have made it challenging for us to gather. And yet, through your faithfulness, your kindness, your grace through many people, you, you've let us gather here today again, and we, we thank you, God, for this community. We thank you for this place. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you that we get to, to sing and retell of your kindness to us in Christ, that we get to hear from your word that in your wisdom and your generosity that you would not leave us in silence. You wouldn't leave us to be confused or to wonder what you're like or to wonder who we are before you, but you would speak to us. And so, God, as we approach 1 John 3, as we lean back into this wonderful five-chapter letter, God, that you would be very loud to us, that your truths would be loud. Anything that's not of you, you'd help us to, you grant us the, the gift of forgetfulness. But anything that is of you, anything that lifts up the name of Christ and, and, and compels us to look more like him, we pray that by the work of the Spirit, you would apply deep into our hearts. So would you grant us at least these two things right now? Would you give us a humility and a hunger as we approach your word? Help us bow our souls, our minds, our hearts to receive it. Above all things, as we have prayed, I think, every single week as a church for 13 or 14 years, that we would leave this place more than anything else impressed with King Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I, uh, I saw a unicorn on Friday. I saw a unicorn, a mythical, magical beast. Um, let me set it up this way. I was at a soccer tournament. And if you've ever done soccer tournaments, that's a place where nobody's happy. There's, there's not a single person at a soccer tournament that's happy. All the parents are calculating the amount of money that they paid for the minutes that their child got. You're angry because they charged for parking. Especially you're not happy because it's 94 degrees and there's no wind. And where we were down in Skagit, it's right next to a fish processing factory. And so I could describe it. It sounds like you don't know what I'm alluding to. So it doesn't smell good. So we're sitting on the sideline 
at the, the smell of fish wafting our direction. And I'm at my youngest son's soccer game, which I actually really enjoy watching. I love going and watching my kiddos play. But we're sitting there, and I saw this unicorn. This unicorn took the shape of a family. A family shows up, and it was mom and dad and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and grandparents, and they had, like, friends show up. They had, like, 25 people show up on the sideline to watch a, a 12-year-old play soccer. It was stunning to me. Stunning. They're so encouraging. As each family member came up, they hugged each other, and they greeted each other. And this kid was playing, and they're like, great job, and he didn't play great. Good job. We're so pro. We love watching you play. And I'm like, how is that possible? 15-year-old brother, I love watching you play, little bro. And then he gets up, and he says, no, no, Grandma, Grandma, you take my chair. Sit here. And the dad is 43, comes over with his umbrella. He says, no, Auntie, I'll hold the umbrella for you. And I'm just watching this in this cacophony of coaches yelling and kids angry, and it was a unicorn on the side of the field. And I was like, they get this text. They just loved each other. It was stunning. It, was da- it really did stand out. It truly did, to watch a family just love each other. It shouldn't be that unique. But in our world, sometimes it is. We're going to see a text that talks a lot about loving others. We're going to look at three things. The priority of love, the pattern of love, and the practice of love. So the priority of love, the pattern of love, and the practice of love. In our church, when we read uh, the Word of God for the text we're going to go through, we often stand together as if, the, as if a king came in the room. So if you are able... Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. This is page 1022 in my Bible. 1 John 3, 11 and following. This is God's holy, Christ-exalting, culture-changing word. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Feel free to grab a seat. First John is, you read through it, one of the things you'll see stated multiple times, First John is written kind of like a spiral. He hits uh, many of the same themes over and over again from slightly different angles. And it's not because he didn't have enough to say. He's trying to get some some foundational truths deeper into us, and one of those is that we would love 
one another. We already had one text that we focused on a few weeks ago in chapter 2 on loving. We'll do this again when we get to chapter 4. We'll do a couple sermons. I mean, we're going to do multiple sermons on what it looks like to love one another. And he, and he highlighted, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. It's this foundational. There's, this isn't a new, this wasn't an add-on to your walk with Christ. In 1 John, I think the word love occurs, it's 23 or 24 times. I've counted it multiple times, and I keep coming up with 23 or 24, so maybe you could fill me in. But 23 or 24 times, and I use this illustration the first um, time we preached on love back in chapter 2. I just found this so helpful in talking about, like, why is love so important? And one commentator he compared the importance of love to the cardiovascular system of the human body. The heart, the, the blood, the arteries, the vein, the capillary. They carry the oxygen to all the parts of the body. And the, and the idea with this is if the heart stops, the body dies. Love is that important. In the context of this, the reference to brothers or brothers and sisters is talking about the immediate local church. If love ceases in the local church for God and for each other, the church slowly withers away. It's true in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our world. If love shuts down, we shut down. Let me give you what love won't do for us, then we're going to talk about what love will do for us as we move into what love will do for others. But here's what love won't do for us, and this is a kind of a Kind of like it feels like an intrusion into the text. There's some verses in here after verse 11 that feel like, what's going on here? Why, why is this in here? Here's what love won't do for us. Verse 12 through 13, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers or brothers and sisters, that the word world hates you. This is referencing back to the first murder in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, a few chapters in called Genesis, where Abel was offering righteous offerings to God and sacrificing. His brother Cain was jealous, and he murdered him. And in a text like this, I was like, what is going on? Why is this in here? Here's the point. Here's what love won't do for you. No matter how well you love, not everyone will like you. They won't like you. They won't like you. Think about... Um, my family were driving around. We used to carry protein bars in our car, and if people were hungry, we'd often unroll a window and hand them out or walk across the street and hand them out. And there was one time where Katie, she handed a protein bar to somebody, and then he treated it like a boomerang and chucked it back in the car and said, I don't want your protein bar, and said some other colorful things. No matter how well you love, it doesn't mean everyone will like you. I read a uh, thread recently on like the best advice I've ever been given advice that people have given me that really changed my life, and I, I want to read the line. I thought this was pretty funny. This person was telling someone was really struggling with people liking them, and this, this lady said, you know what, honey? You can be the sweetest peach on the tree, but some people just don't like peaches. <laughs> I thought it was a great line. It was a great, you can be, a sweet, you can be the, the best follower of Christ in the world. We're likely not. That's probably somewhere else. But, but you can be close. Not everyone's going to love you. Not everyone's going to like you. And what this does for us as we talk about love is it addresses our motivation. That our motivation to love is not that we're liked. We hope we are. But it's that we might image Christ as we get to verse 16. And we might serve others, whatever the results are. Here's something love does for us. We're going to look at what it does for others a little bit. But what does love do for us? And that's not a selfish question. It's a very textual question. There's loads of things that love, loving others does for us, but I'll just give you the answer from verse 14. We know 
that we have passed out of death into life. And then listen to this word. Whenever you see words like this in the Bible, this is a really helpful Bible. There's, there's a cause and effect. There's, there's a cause and there's a connection between this. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Goes on, clarifies another side, whoever does not love abides in death. So there's this contrast. So one of the things that love does for us is it helps to affirm us that we indeed are followers of Christ. One of the biggest reasons that 1 John was written is so that people that are followers of Christ might know that they're actually followers of Christ, to give them some sense of affirmation that they don't have to go through life going like, well, I hope I'm in the faith. I hope I'm saved. I hope I have eternal life. I hope Jesus has forgiven me. I hope things will work out so that we can actually live with blessed assurance that we don't need to be fearful in life. We don't need to be fearful in death. We don't need to worry the judgment that's coming because we throw all of our hope on Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we can know that is, do I love others? In 1 John there's three main tests that, that work out multiple different times. One of the tests is the, the doctrinal test or the theological test. What do I believe about Christ? One of those tests is the, the moral test. Do I care about following God? One of those is the relational or the social test. Do I care about others? 1 John 5.13 says it like this. We'll throw this up on, on the screen. I write these things. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John was a pastor writing to people that he loved in his old age, and he wants them to live with an assurance that what they sing and what they say and what they pray is actually theirs, that they don't have to be worried. It's what God wants for all of his people that are his followers. That's why the series is called Stuff Christians Do. First John is just in a smattering. It's not all that we do, but it's things that, that we do or at least want to do or, or we like want to want to do. Like maybe you're struggling to love somebody that you're called to love, but at least if you want to love them or, or you're kind of like, I want to want to love them, then it's a sign of hopefully some life happening in you. And you can take that as a, as a positive sign. So we look back, I'll give you a couple of things that Christians do. Christians struggle with sin. It was one of my favorite sermons to preach from this text. We go to 1 John 1 because it reminds us as we go through that none of us is perfect. We struggle with sin. We struggle because we sin. We struggle against sin. Christians obey God. Christians practice being like Christ. That was the, the text right before this, that we practice righteousness. You know what that means? It's not perfect. We're trying. We're trying to figure this out. It's so loaded with God's grace. And today, Christians love. Now, this brings up a challenge, though. Brings up maybe potentially some confusion for us. Okay, we know we're followers of God because we love others, but we can flip this around and believe that we are followers of God because we first loved and then we became His, or He saved us because we loved well, or we're accepted because we obey enough. One of the things that we could try to clarify, I'll spend some time with this, this is not saying that we're saved because we love others. It's saying that if we're saved, we will love others, imperfectly for sure, but they will. It's not entry into eternal life. It's evidence of life. So what I want to do is look at verse 16 because it helps us out. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I'm going to read it again as I turn off this fan so my Bible pages stop flipping. By this, 
or I'll just turn it this way. We know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Do you hear the order? By this we know, this is how God's love was supremely manifest to us. That he, speaking of Christ, he laid down his life. And the outflow of that is that we ought to then lay down our lives for others. I want you to hear the love of God first. This is an otherworldly love to us before it ever becomes an otherworldly world love through us. It's God's love to us that is personal and it is pricey. I'm trying to think of some stories. Whenever um, I think of Christ giving of himself, entering into this world, living righteously, bearing our, 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 our sin upon a cross, taking our place before a holy God that we might be set free. I think there's a two stories that, that often come to mind. One of them was a, was a story out of a forest fire. It was a forest fire, and as a crew was coming through after the fire had burned through, there was a park ranger coming through and came upon um, a, a charred pile of what used to be a pheasant. And the, the park ranger came over to the pheasant, this mass of just burnt out trees and salal, and, and just gently kicks over this, this pile of feathers, and underneath was little baby birds alive. The mom had gathered them all. And as this fire raged through, substituted herself for the life of her baby. Maybe a, definitely a more stunning example, there was a mudslide in Central Asia, a story came out, and um, as the rescue crews were going in to, to see, are there any survivors, is there anyone around? They go into this small house that mud had flooded through the window. They begin to dig in, they dig into a bedroom, and they see a mound, and underneath the mound was an elderly woman who had passed away in this mudslide. They began to retrieve her body. They look underneath, and it was a crib and a little baby, a lot. What had happened is as the mud came in, this woman, supposedly the grandma, went in and braced herself over the crib. So as the mud came in, she shielded the child so, it, so she might live. This is the kind of love that reflects the kind of love that Christ has. When he looked down at a world that was rebellious to him, a world that was running, not even, not even neutral to him, and he jumped into the fire, and he jumped into the mudslide, and he took the punishment that we deserve that we might be set free. He laid himself down that we might be raised up. He, he took the, the, the judgment that we deserve that we might be declared righteous in him. He laid down his life. He, he gave himself. This is the kind of divine love that is so otherly worldly because it wasn't for people who deserved it. It wasn't for people who merited it. It's for people that were running from him. This is the gospel. This is why the gospel is such big deal in the Christian church. This is, this is the reality of the good news that liberates us is the intervention of Jesus Christ who did all of it. Jesus, in the context of a text like this, as we get to verse 18, and talking about loving in deed and truth, not just loving in words, but in the most decisive cosmic action this world will ever know, the death of God in our place. So love to us, and this is what compels then love through us, and that's the connection and order of this text. If, if you look at it, it's by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. 
When we sing the songs, don't miss that. That's what, that's what we retell over and over and over and over again. So that then we can do the rest of the verse. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We have love to us and then it comes through us. I'll give you just two points on this. It's love through us, if you're a follower of Christ, is both proper and pricey. If we're honest about it, it's proper, it's pricey. This word ought, it's what we ought to do. Doesn't mean it's always what we do. I want to continue to remind, if we don't do it perfectly, we'd never do it to the extent that Christ does, but we do it as an echo, albeit as imperfectly as it might be, of Christ. And this can't be overstated. This is actually the, the distinction of Christian ethics and morality and how we live is that we are not obeying so that we're accepted. We're, 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 not, we're not performing so that we are approved. We're believing in the work of Christ and then we're doing our are best by God's grace to live in light of that. It's a key distinction between Christianity and, and other religious and secular systems is that there's no, there's no performance in Christianity that makes us right with God. It's only, well, there's one, and it's the performance of Jesus Christ. And so our love flows from that. It's not to, it's not to get uh, approval from the world, but it's also not to get approval from God. It's, let that settle for a second. You loving other people will not make God love you more. Well, that's good news, isn't it, for people maybe like myself that struggle to love the way we want to? We were in the Beijing airport, my, my wife and I, we were in uh, two of our kiddos, and we were flying back from China after adopting our daughter Lily, and this, ran into this guy who was a doctor from New York, and, and we started talking, and, and he came up to, in, in the conversation we were with Lily, and we were talking about adoption. He says, all right, tell me in three words or less why you adopted. And if I would have thought at the time, I'd be like, that's kind of a hard test. <laughs> three words or less, I just met you. You know, my doctor. Um, I didn't say that. Uh, I, just, I just said God's grace applied. Because that's what it is. Everything we do, it's just God's grace applied. When we love the person that we don't want to love, it's just God's grace applied. When we love someone that doesn't deserve it, well, that is God's grace applied because he loved us when we didn't deserve it. And it's pricey, laid down our lives. If you read through the passage, it sounds so nice until we remember that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I love this glorious reminder of grace that before we are called to love, we were reminded how God loves, that we love because we're loved, but but I want you to know something else. We don't just love because we're loved. We love as we're loved, with the manner and the way in which we were loved. And it's costly. It's worth it, but it's costly. I love the way John Stott says it. He says, the self-sacrifice of Christ is not just a revelation of love to be admired. It is an example to copy. The self-sacrifice of Christ is not just an example to be admired. It is. And it, is, and it is in our place, it is a substitute in our place. But it's also a pattern, it's something for us to follow. Read a story, um, and I, I looked at as many references to the story as I could find to try to figure out how accurate the details were. Um, and I, I couldn't come to some, I, I'll give you what I believe was the conclusion of it, but it was such a stunning story to talk about what it looks like to, to let the love of Christ penetrate into our hearts so deep that we might love other people to the extent of actually laying down our lives. It was May 29th, 1914, and the Empress, Empress of Ireland ship was sailing, and it got broadsided by another ship. 
massive, massive gaping hole. There's about 1,500 people on board. It sank in, I believe it was 14 minutes. There was not nearly enough time to lower the life raft. There weren't nearly enough life jackets. They're in freezing cold water. Um, on board were about 150 or so Salvation Army youth workers, people that loved Jesus, and they were going to help other people love Jesus. And, and all but seven of those youth workers died. One of the things that's interesting about the details that began to come out from the survivors is that the youth workers, all 150, their room in the cabins that they had were right next to where they stored all of the life jackets. So every single Salvation Army youth worker could get a life jacket. All of them got life jackets. All of them jumped into the water, but only seven of them lived. And as stories from survivors started being shared, they all began to say the same thing. I was in the water. I didn't have a life jacket. Freezing. Ship is down. And all of a sudden, someone swims over to me. And they take off their life vest. And they put it on. And they sank. Story after story came up about these, these youth workers, these people that had been loved by Christ who laid down his life for them. They swam over and they found someone without a jacket and they said, here, take mine. There's one story that came out from the way that it was told, this big burly guy. He's in the water and a, a young woman swims over to him wearing a life jacket and hands it to him. And he, and he goes, I couldn't take it. There's no way that I could let myself die or I could let myself live and she die. And so he hands it back in and she looks at me and says, are you a Christian? And he goes, no. And she looks at him and says, I am. I'm ready to die. You are not. And the way he retells the stories, he goes, I, became, I got saved twice that day. Let me just read the verse again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Most of us won't be asked to, to love exactly in that way. Most of us will not be asked to do that. But we all can love well when the time comes. And that's actually what verses 17 and 18 begin to direct us. And, and if I was going to give you a summary of, of this text, I'll give you the same summary I did when we talked about love last time. Those who are loved well can love well. And you've been, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been loved perfectly. Let me give you four handles as we look at 17 and 18. Is the practice of Christ-like love. It's practical, it's personal, it's pricey, and it's powerful. It's practical, it's personal, it's pricey, and it's powerful. Let me read the verses. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. And that's not a, that's not that's not trying to um, diminish who he's talking to. He's, he's, he's tr it's, a t it's a word of affection and, and tenderness. Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but indeed in truth. I love the, pr the, the practical nature of this. I love the, the link between verses 16 through 17 and 18. There's this otherworldly love in Jesus and this call towards self-sacrifice, but then it works out in the lives of real people that are right in front of you. There's the principle in verse 16. Here's what Christ did. Let's live in light of that. Now, as you go about your life and you see someone in need, if you have those resources, 
Extend those. Care for that person. This phrase, um, to love in, in deed and truth, can actually be translated, the word truth, it's, it's not talking about the truth of the gospel, although that is true. It's, it's likely talking about just real deeds, deeds that take shape in reality. I love this line from uh, Douglas Sean O'Donnell. He says this. He says, heavenly love has an earthiness to it. Isn't that a great line? Heavenly love has an earthiness to it. it you can feel it. It's not that word and talk are bad. Oh, we are called to love with our words for sure, but it doesn't stop there. There's, there's a reality that you can touch and you can feel. We'll give you some examples of practical here in just a minute. Let me move to personal. There's a really in, interesting and, I believe, intentional shift from verse 16 to 17, from a plural to a singular. 16 gives us this, this kind of plural Plural principle, by this we know love, that he did his life for us, that we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. It's kind of plural reality, but then verse 17 shifts all individual. It's singular. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I was going to do a number of points on this. I'll just give you uh, just really one pairing. The fact that it goes individual is clarifying and freeing. It's clarifying and freeing. I don't know about you, I look around at all the immense needs all over the place, and I can become overwhelmed pretty quickly. See someone who doesn't have the world's needs? Oh, I mean, where could you not look to see that? Where could you, like, you got to kind of stop glancing at things, so you stop seeing. There's just so much need in so many places. And one of the things I think is so great about this text that, that individualizes it is it reminds us of the gift of limits. You can't do everything for everyone, but you can do something for someone. A text like this reminds us of that. Let me give you two handles um, from this text. You see a specific need. You have the world's goods to provide it. So it's a real need in front of you and the resources to meet that need. This isn't asking you to meet the needs you can't meet. This isn't asking for you to do everything for everyone. It's saying, what can you do for the person that God put in front of you? One of the things this can do is keep us from being overwhelmed with all the need but also keep us from the cynicism of doing nothing because the thing we do won't change everything. Keep us from being overwhelmed and keep us from, from just doing nothing because we give up. Think about this with adoption. I always get permission from my kids if I share any stories that relate to them. Um, and uh, when we were adopting uh, Juddy, I remember somebody, um, somebody said to me, and, and I, I want to believe it was the best heart in the world, so this isn't to, to demonize anyone, but they said to me that, they're like, you know, you're not going to really change anything. Like, they'll still be orphans. No, don't judge. Don't, don't. As, as much as I'm doing that in my heart right now. I'm just joking. You know, you're not going to change anything. And I said, you know, I'm not trying to change the world. I'm just trying to change his world. And a text like this helps us do that. It helps us do that. It says, like, you're going to find real people with real needs, and if you have the resources to meet it, you can do it. You don't need to feel guilty about what you can't meet. You don't need to feel overwhelmed, but you also don't have to give up because you can make a real difference in that person's life. There's an earthiness to it. It's pricey. This type of love is beautiful, but it's costly. Verses 16 through 18 make it clear. C.H. Dodd says it like this. He says, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. You're going to give something up. It could be your time. It could be your resources. There, there's going to be a downgrade in some aspect of your life to do that. That's just the reality of it. We talked about it being pricey. Let me, let me move to the last P, 
And maybe it'll give us more motivation to, to love like this. That is powerful. Love like this is powerful. I'll give you two ways. There's lots of ways. It's authenticating and it's inspiring. Let me give you the authenticating to try to amp up why our church. I'll just make it very personal for Redeemer. If you're a part of the church, why it matters how we love one another. Notice that the, there's contrasting systems at work in this text, different belief systems, two different worlds. There's, there's Cain and Abel. There's life and death. There's love and there's hate. There's like, this is an otherworldly example, and this is this world. And it's saying that as we love, we are showing off this otherworldly example of love. Let me connect it to an article I read recently by Russell Moore. It was April 15th. It was titled, Losing Our Religion. Uh, Russell Moore, I think, is a phenomenal thinker. Anytime I recommend someone, you know, eat the meat and spit the bones, but I think he is a really, really interesting thinker, a thoughtful Christian, a good writer, um, losing our religion. And it was a reference to a Gallup poll that stated for the first time since the Gallup poll started recording this, that, um, that affiliation, church affiliation in America is less, less than half the country belong to any church of any kind. So this came out recently. It's the first time it ever happened that less than half of America belong to any church at any, or, or at, during this time than any other time. It was interesting, 20, 20 years ago, it was 68%. So anyone that's following these, these data points, and, and we all know that data can be worked around different ways, but anyone that's following this is, is kind of getting, like, this is not a good trend. This is not the trajectory and direction we want it to go. And he lists a number of different reasons for, for why this might be so and why this might be working out. Um, he, this, this quote I'm going to read to you comes after a lot of different stuff he states, but here's what he says that I think is really pertinent for what we're talking about today. He says this, he says, we now see young evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. Just pause there for a second. What they're saying is people that are growing up in churches around, and evangelical gets translated to find so many different ways now. People that love Jesus, love the Bible, believe the Bible, believe the gospel, they're walking away, not because they're rejecting the doctrine of those churches, but they're looking at the church going, I don't think you actually believe the doctrine you say you believe. The presenting issue in this secularization is not scientism and hedonism, but disillusionment and cynicism. I would imagine there's people in this room that are in that spot. I would imagine there's people in your relational spheres that are in this spot. I know they're in mine. He points to a number of reasons for making that claim, um, but really I think all of them go back to this, a lack of love for one another. People see the way Christians treat each other, the way we talk, the way we act, and they go, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't make that gel with what I hear from the Bible, and I can't make that gel with the things I'm hearing preached, and I can't make that gel with the prayers, and I can't make that gel with the, the songs. Our church is full of an emerging generation. That is, you know what they're going to look at more than anything we say? How we walk. How we walk. How do we forgive? How do we engage? How do we, how do we parent? How do we, how do we work out our marriages? How do we befriend our neighbors? What do we do as we, we, we see the needs of our city? 
That's the thing they're, they're looking at. It's not the only thing that matters. It's not the only thing for sure, but it's one of the things they're looking at. So I want to I give to us kind of this, this challenge from verse 18. Are we going to walk the talk? Let us not love in word and, or in deed. <laughs> let, us, let me reread the passage. Let us not make up verses <laughs> ever. <laughs> Little children, let us not love in word or talk. And we could say only but in deed and truth, in real deeds that are tangible, that can be seen. What a privilege, what a, what a responsibility. And what it does is it's inspiring because here's what happens. As we, as we see it, it begins to, to produce more of it and we get inspired by it. Commands like verse 18 can be heard in many ways. One of, one of them is like, okay, I have to do this. I must do this. I ought to do this. And, and for sure that is true. But how about this one? I can do this. I love hearing Bible commands through that lens of possibility and potential. We're not, we're not being given an enslavement here. We're actually being invited to a new way of living. I needed that reminder Thursday morning. Here's how my prayer journal started. So often in the morning, I have my prayer journal, I have my Bible. Here's how my prayer journal started. Father in heaven, I'm not sure I could feel worse. More of a loser, more of a terrible father. Anyone ever start their day like that? You don't have to raise your hands. I know you do. All right. Wednesday, I just, uh, I was reflecting back Thursday morning as I'm praying. I just really felt like I dropped the ball with one of my kids in a conversation. I just felt like I was needlessly harsh. I just didn't minister to them with words of grace. And I need some, I was really, I was just in a ditch. In my prayer journal, it continued. And oftentimes when I'm doing my prayers, um, and I'm not recommending what I did. I'm not saying that's a good prayer. I'm just saying it's what I prayed. And so I'm praying, and then I begin to channel off, and we'll start to go to passages. I start to channel Romans 7. Anyone else, when I say Romans 7, you're like, yeah, me too. The good I want to do, I fail to do. The bad I do, I keep doing. And Romans 7 is this back and forth, like, ah. And then you get to the spot, I'm like typing, wretched man that I am, who will save me? <laughs> and I was, I was doing that. And I was, hands were up. And then I got to Romans 8.1. Anyone know it? There's therefore now. Oh, it's a great verse. I love, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I came from this pit of just and genuine conviction of things I need to deal with in my life. And this struggle with I keep doing the stupid stuff I don't want to do. And I'm not loving the way I want to love. But Christ has died for me. And there's no condemnation for me. Yes. But my kid still needs a dad who loves them. And then this passage, I can love. And it was inspiring. It wasn't enslaving. It says, okay, I'm forgiven in Christ, and I'm not stuck. And I can love, and I can love. We get to see this powerfully displayed through one another. There's no condemnation, but there can be change. So I'm going to give you some stories quickly, and I'll wrap this up fast. I know it's hot in here. Don't you miss the air conditioning at the hotel right now? Anyone? I realized this morning as I put on a flannel shirt, I, I have no shirts other than flannel shirts, so I'm going to go shopping here soon. All right. So my, my concern with sharing of these is that many of you will be left out. I could go around this room and share a million different stories. This is just the first ones that came to mind this last week. Is I, wo I woke up, and the first person I thought of was a guy named Jim Woods. This dude. He's got this really kind smile. His countenance just very Christ-like. His first name I thought of when I woke up, and what I was thinking about specifically was the decades that he has spent loving those without adequate housing. 
He really cares deeply about it. He really cares about people that don't have a place to sleep or a safe place to sleep or a warm place to sleep or, or enough food to sustain human flourishing. And he's done this for decades and decades. He did this when he lived in, in the Midwest. He was, a, he was a general surgeon. He was a professor. Um, he's got some other really cool stories. I won't share them all, but, but just some really, and he, he just began to fall in love with people that many in our cities don't love. And when he came to Bellingham, he continued that investment in this group of people, serves on the board at the Lighthouse Mission, is very involved, caring and serving and giving, and really beyond all of it, befriending. He'll go around and try to find people just to, to, to create relationships within our city. His wife, Judy, is, is stunning. They both serve together. They serve in church together. They, for, for years and years in, in, in a church, they're part of the, where they served was the kids. They love the kids' They would go in there and just minister to these kids, and they'd teach them about Jesus and teach them about his grace. So this is love in action. This is love with feet to it. This is the earthiness kind of love. Thought about Paul and Amy Cunningham. I didn't get permission to share these. I get permission from my kids. I don't get permission. I'm sorry. Paul's on staff, though. We can talk about it this week at our one-on-one. All right. Paul and Amy Cunningham and the Cunningham clan, um, and these are all very public stories, so I don't feel like I'm sharing anything. They, do you know that they moved here from a place where a house costs like $287? They moved from Mississippi. <laughs> they moved here. I just I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, that is some that is some love and action to like be willing to move from that to this. It's like crazy. We'll pray for you. All right. Alderwood. Alderwood, our church partnered with Alderwood Elementary a number of years ago. And I, I thought about all the money. Tens and tens of thousands of dollars you've given thousands and thousands of hours that you've given to this community of kids that you just love and you love the teachers. You recently provided them lunch again. At the very end, they were burnt out. The principal calls us, hey, is there anything you can do? Of course, whatever it is, you name it, we do it. You all fed them. You cared for them. All the handwritten notes and the cards, the massages, like all the stuff. You know, we got them massage cards. You didn't do them. So we got them the card. (laughs) Clarify. Clarify. Sorry. Being back here, I'm feeling freer, I shouldn't. Um, but it's just stunning the way you love. Oh, goodness, it's cool. And it makes a difference. People see it. It's authenticating. People say, I don't believe what they believe, but man, I want to love like they love. I got a friend named Noah. He's a full-time police officer down in Seattle. He's also planting a church. I didn't think about it. Like, he t- <laughs> that guy's got to be so stressed out, so tired. But his family's doing it because he loves Jesus and wants people to know Jesus. Nicole Silva, she's the Sunday coordinator, and I came in this week, and she was getting trained. She was part of our church for a long time. She moved away. She moved back because she just loves you so much. That's crazy to me. I have like a three-minute commute to get to this building, and sometimes I think about not coming. She moved from Texas all the way back here. That is stunning. Bryce Blazer. He's got the coolest name in the church, Bryce Blazer. I just love his name. I just love his name. So the, the, if you, this guy, he, he loaned his car for the shuttle because the shuttle broke, so he loaned his car. He was going to drive his car so people could get transported, but he's serving in the kids' ministry. I don't know if he's been to like a Sunday service with, with all of us in this room in like 12 years. He's only been a part of the church for like five, so I don't know how it's worked <laughs> because he's always serving the kids. Just constantly, and he serves as a GC. I mean, it's just stunning. These, this, is, these are, this is love with feet and hands. 
hugging and loving and caring and meeting and nurturing, and it's all around us. I'll end with one, Greg and Stephanie's son, Greg's son and his family. Greg is back uh, visiting from, from Kenya. They, they were in Burundi where they serve on medical missions, but my wife and I, we've known them for 12 years, 13 years, 14 years, basically since the beginning of the church, and we have watched them over a decade and a half travel, I don't know, 50,000 miles on the airplane to go provide medical care to places where there's none. When the earthquakes happened in Haiti a number of years ago, and he was on a plane. He was there as quick as he could in conditions that were stunning. And he just continues to go and continues to minister. And Stephanie continues to go and continues to minister. And their kids, as part of that mission, continue to go and continue to minister. And it's just love with feet and love with action, earthiness to it. And I could go on and on and on. And here would be my encouragement to you. Go on and on this week. In your GCs, in your relationships, in your community, say, this is how I see Christ-like love out of you. I guarantee no one's ever been too encouraged. Just, just brag on the grace of God through people to one another. All that love is personal, it's pricey, it's practical, it's powerful, it's love like Jesus. It's love that will change the world. It's love that will change someone's world. And it's possible. In fact, this text would tell us as followers of Christ, it's unavoidable. Those who are loved well, love well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I, I just thank you. I, I just want to keep going. I wanted us to do like a round table. Everyone start sharing how they've seen your grace through others worked out. I pray that you would. You keep us doing that this week. And as we do, we're, we're, we're not bragging on each other. We're boasting in you and we're celebrating the transformation you make in our lives and through us. Heavenly Father, show us that we can love well. Show us how we can love. And show us ultimately at the end of the day that it's because of how you have loved us in Christ that we are forgiven, redeemed, called, chosen, justified, cleansed, adopted, brought in, and guaranteed a future with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, the band